0: You know, it's, it's interesting as we note God's work that we're actually transitioning into a new series this morning. Now, we're in the book of Acts for about two years on and off, but we're in a new series within Acts called Spirit on the Move. And we're going to see in this series uh, the, the Spirit of God begin to move outward from Jerusalem in the early church and see some real parallels to what God is doing here at GBC. Uh, so the Spirit of God, or the church rather, has survived the scandal, if you will, of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira from a couple of weeks ago. It has survived the persecution of Peter and John by the Jewish Sanhedrin, by the Jewish ruling class. And now in our text this morning, the church faces an internal struggle, an internal conflict. And that struggle comes from, very much from the fact that the church is growing. We're going to look at that in particular this morning, but I want to give you a little background to that struggle. Uh, you may remember as we started the book of Acts, we talked about the Acts as a story of, of God's initiation of the church, the birth of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. It's all that Jesus continues to do and teach as the church is born. And this takes place at a time in the Jewish calendar, uh, at the time of Pentecost, when tens of thousands of Jews have come from all over the Roman Empire uh, to be together to celebrate one of the three annual feasts that they were called to in Judaism. It's, that's the moment when the miracle of the tongues of fire and languages come and the church is born. is born. And so what happens is there are two, actually two groups of Jews who've been converted to this new faith in Jesus. One are the Hebraic Jews, those who spoke the Hebrew language and, and kept up the traditional Hebrew and Jewish language customs and culture. And all these Jews who have come from all over the Roman Empire, you can read where they come from in, in chapter 1, who bring Greek language and culture, the process of which is, is called to be Hellenized. To be Hellenized is to be uh, enculturated with both Greek language, and so, on and so forth. And as this new church is born out of both of these groups, there are some growing pains that come along with that. Specifically, we're going to read the text here in a moment, there's sort of an inadvertent uh, favoritism toward the, the, uh, those that have been natively in and around the Jerusalem area. And so let's read about that this morning. And we're just going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. It says this. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve... The apostles summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, not to be confused with Pumbaa's buddy there, uh, Parmenas and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, much as we saw this morning with Ethan. It's sobering to think that this practice goes back all the way to the first century church and raising up new leaders. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became to the faith. Pray with me this morning as we consider this passage. Our God and Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, excited to lean into your word, to learn what it is you have for us. Um, God, we thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit instructs us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you bring clarity to this text? Would you bring, as only you could do, individual application to each one of us to hear what you want us to hear as we learn to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more? We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, surprise, surprise, we have three points for you this morning. The first one is uh, we'll call the problem of growth. And I put that in quotes because it's a good problem, right? The church is growing. What God said would happen is is starting to happen. So we have this problem of growth. Then there's the solution that in our text for today is in particular... the uh, seven men raised up to serve uh, some of these problems that come out of growth. And then finally, the outcome of that solution to the problem of growth uh, we'll see is both fruit and fracturing, or honestly, probably a better word would be opposition, but I was looking for another F there. Uh, So let's begin with the problem of growth. The problem of growth, uh, it says, in those days as disciples were increasing in number, there arose a conflict. Surprise, surprise, as the church grows and more people are added to the mix, sometimes conflict arises. This is a very practical, logistical uh, need issue or, or conflict. In fact, we could say that a teaching principle here would be um, a growing church increases both in diversity and in diverse needs or real needs. This was a real issue. These widows of the, of the Hellenized Christians uh, weren't getting daily distribution, most of your versions will say, of food that's kind of inferred in, in the later comment about waiting of, of tables, but it was likely more than just food resources. So this is a practical need. And, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting that, fascinating to me, that in, in the providence of God, we're in this passage yeah, where the early church is dealing with logistical issues related to rapid church growth, and we just had to announce we're changing our traffic pattern because we've grown about 20%. Over the last year or so, um, and we're bumping against some very practical Mm -hmm. logistical issues. Now, that point about a church that grows uh, grows in diversity, it doesn't necessarily have to mean language or or, or ethnic or cultural diversity. Uh, If if you live in a majority Asian culture or African culture culture or culture, it wouldn't necessarily mean ethnic diversity, but just kind of human diverse human needs. But here in the United States, and particularly here in the uh, or in, in in New England and here at GBC tell you that as we are growing, we are growing in diversity. And one of the really exciting practical challenges that's flowing out of that that, we're start, that we've been talking about is, is the possibility of translating our messages into Spanish because our Latino population is growing, which is amazing and super humbling. Uh, we just launched our first Spanish-speaking small group here at GBC. Well, yeah, you can clap for that. That's God's work. And it's, you know, that's a pins and needles thing, what God is doing. And I'll tell you, like, we feel inadequate to respond to uh, all that that means, but we're very, very excited to lean into what God wants to do there. But again, the point is, as the church grows, there's very real and practical needs that arise out of that. And so this need comes from the community to the apostles, right? And the apostles respond to that, but but they might not respond how you think. What do they say? They begin with sort of a, setting up a strata of right priorities. What's the first thing they say? It would not be right for us to neglect the word for the waiting on of tables. Let's raise up some other folks to do that. Now, if you really think about that objectively, you might question that. Think about what they're saying in just layman's terms. They're saying, you know what? It wouldn't be right for us to stop teaching the Bible, ministering to the spiritual needs to feed people who are going hungry and missing out on the distribution of resources. If you're honest and objective about that, I think it's okay to pause and go, wait a minute, really? Is it really, is that really the greater priority? Well, we need to have a a biblical understanding of what exactly is this message that the apostles are preaching. Because what they're dealing with, with is the issues of the soul, the issues of our eternity. When we're talking about the gospel message, we are talking about the fact that apart from Christ, we are lost, dead in our sins, and, and damned to an eternal separation from God. That is a, there is no greater need than that. That people know of the salvation of Jesus Christ and resolve the issue of their eternity is of paramount importance, even over and above being fed and clothed and so on and so forth. Now, it's not to the exclusion of that either. And you note that in the text, the apostles set up a strata of priorities, but they don't dismiss the physical need. Let me say this another way. There are a lot of great, wonderful, secular organizations that do all humanitarian, altruistic, philanthropic endeavors to care for people that are doing nothing to resolve the issues issues of the heart and our eternal needs. For the Christian, we are cursed to preach the gospel, and then to meet physical needs. That's what the apostles are saying. Now, sometimes those things go hand in hand. Sometimes we see in the New Testament that Testament meeting a physical need opens up the mind and heart to receive the spiritual need. But as the leadership, they're saying it would be wrong for us to neglect the word, the ministry of prayer, to meet this it's physical uh, temporal need. Richard Longnecker in his commentary, I think, pulls this to a very succinct um conclusion and understanding. He says this, says the early church took very seriously the combination of spiritual and material concerns in carrying out its God-given ministry. In doing so, it stressed prayer and the proclamation of the word, but never to the exclusion of helping the poor and correcting injustices. And even when the church found it necessary to divide internal responsibilities and assign different functions, the early believers saw these as varying aspects of one total ministry. And we would echo that with a hearty amen here at GBC. We want to first be known as a church that preaches and teaches the word of God. It administers the ministry of prayer to our people. And then immediately following that meets physical needs. And certainly as a church, if through no other vehicle, our caring ministries meet a ton of needs within the church family. I kind of saw a microphone this morning, actually. Right? We had two announcements back to back. One is meeting a logistical need of related, related to our growth of we got to change the traffic pattern. we got to add parking spaces. The other is raising up the next spiritual leader to feed, spiritually feed and care for our teenagers. Well, those are all kind of, you know, corporate ideas and corporate application. And think about how does this apply to us as a, as a church, a larger community. What about the personal application? I wrestled with the personal applications. But I kind of settled on these two questions, on this idea of the problem of growth. I wonder if, if we were to ask each other, what are the needs that I see, you, as you live out your life here at GBC, uh, in what God is doing, God's movement here and here, what are the needs, the practical needs that I see as I live and move throughout this, this family, this community here at GBC? I would suspect there are things the elders don't fully aren't aware of. But a second question quickly follows on that. Where may I be called to help or to serve that particular need? And and I want to suggest that one question follows the other. I'll make one point from the text and then one point of practical application of that. Notice in the text, seven men who are raised up to meet the need of the feeding of these widows all have Greek names. In other words, the apostles and the community puts forth and raises up people from within the group in which the issue is happening to meet the need of that group. So when you come to me or to one of the elders at GBC and you say, gosh, this, there's this need that's happening at GBC, you're likely to be asked this question. Great, what do you want to do about it? So be careful what you bring. <laughs> now, I mean, honestly, our, our best ideas come from you, so we just want you to be uh, communicating with us about what the needs are. But there's a real truth here about, you know, the, the whole idea of, hey, what you need to do is, do you know about this? What you should do is dot, dot, dot. You know we need to turn, turn that, on that on head and be a community that is meeting the needs. And that brings us to our, by the way, the solution in this particular specific case of seven to serve. So the apostles raise up these seven men to, to meet this particular need. And note that even though it's the distribution of food and resources, that these three men who were holy vessels, they weren't just people with a pulse. It says they were to be three things. One, they needed to have a good reputation. If they were gonna meet the needs within this particular community within God's people, they need to have good rapport and be well-regarded within that group of people. You can imagine what would happen if they weren't. Secondly, they need to be spirit-led, spirit-filled men. It wasn't enough that they were gifted organizers or gifted administrators. They need to be men who knew Christ themselves and were being led and directed by the spirit. And then what follows on very closely related to that is filled with wisdom. You can imagine, we're talking about probably tens of thousands of people here that they needed to be wise and shrewd about how these resources were, were being handled and distributed if for no other reason that they wouldn't get scammed. And I'm sure a bunch of other things come, come to mind as well. Well, there's sort of a secondary teaching point that can come out of this, and we could say it this way, all serving in the church is worship. Now, I think there's room to push back on this point a little bit, but I put this in for the sake of, of kind of application as well. All serving in the church, or maybe we should say all serving the church can be or could be worship. Now, why do I kind of push back on my own point? Well, you might say, well, isn't it possible for somebody to be leading worship or serving in some area and to not be faithfully walking with Christ or or to not even maybe be a Christian? To, I mean, we have things that are open for you to do here if you don't know Jesus yet, right? You can be uh, part of our greeting team or serve coffee. There are things you can do if you're not a believer in Jesus yet. But here's the way that I would sort of respond to that. I dare say that... Uh, You this morning come and you say, I I haven't placed my faith in Jesus yet, but God's drawing me or I'm curious, I'm interested in what God is doing. And we put you on the welcome team, that as you spend time with someone like a Scott Lozier or a Dan and Cindy Quarterweg or a Nancy Nahas or a, a Nanette Burdick and on and on I could go, that you are going to see that all serving in the church can be worship. You're gonna see from their life and how they serve in particular these menial areas that it's an act of worship to Jesus. You're going to see Jesus in them. And so I think all serving in the church, certainly as a sub-point to this text, can be worship. But I will say this from a leadership standpoint, we want to take very seriously what kinds of service and ministry uh, people who are, are put there at in their walks with Jesus. Well, for the apostles, the solution to the problem of growth here is the raising up of seven to serve. I'll, I'll make the case kind of a little bit with a little bit of um, tongue-in-cheek here that it's, it's eight to serve here at GRC. I want to share with you this morning some practical things where this text is such an apropos parallel to where we're at as a church and some of the issues we're having related to growth. And so we're going to share some, uh, some changes that are coming, and that brings me to uh, kind of something that's been a tradition here at GBC for the last eight years. That is I want to share with you our word for the year. Uh, each year, we've kind of ha- had a word that's sort of been in the background of our, our sense of vision throughout the year and how we've made decisions. And so several years back, we had the word generosity. And then we had the word service. And we've had the word uh, covenant. We've had the word community. Our word for 2024 is transitions. Transitions. You've, you've seen and heard about one, there's actually two this morning. Really, our parking resolution and, and the transition from Jeremy Vorce to Ethan Harris are both significant transitions. But there are actually many more coming in 2024. We have a transition that's coming in kids' ministry. Now, this one's actually a planned transition, but our current director of kids' ministry, Tanya Patton, will be retiring from this role in uh, this coming summer. And she will be replaced by uh, Kimberly Callahan Brackles, whom Tanya has been mentoring for the last two years. Now, again, this is a transition. If you were with us when Tanya came on board, um, we were in an absolute crisis with a staff member who had some needs and need to step, needed to step aside. And so we yeah, reached so out we to reach Tanya out. and says, Tanya, we have this vacancy, the fall is approaching, would you consider stepping into this role? And she said, yes. Now, Tanya had no specific background or training in children's ministry. She had a ton of skills and a background of education, but she largely, she largely stepped into an, into an unknown and did an amazing job in an interim way of kind of shouldering us through that fall. In fact, she did such a great job that she interviewed for the permanent position later and we hired her for this role. But we also hired Kimberly callahan Rackles, and right off the bat set up this two-year transition plan that there would be a mentoring and a handing over. Tanya had already retired from education and so we, we kind of asked her to suspend that retirement um, and so that'll be coming this summer. In addition, within that transition, we'll be hiring Kimberly's replacement. So lots of moving parts in kids' ministry. Now, one personal note about Tanya: um, We are so grateful for the way that she not only shouldered, shouldered the load in crisis, but the way that she's led over these last two years. And uh, amen. <laughs> but I will tell you that when I called Tanya that I think it was in the evening, whatever, whatever you case, the case, and asked her this question, if she had said no, we didn't really have a plan B. Like, I don't know what we would have done. Um, I mean, God knows, but thankfully she said yes, and, and here we are, so grateful for her. So we have a transition transition, in kids ministry. One of the other transitions this year is we're gonna have not just one, but three interns this year at GBC. And so we'll have a youth intern, as we've had for some time. We're also gonna have a media intern who will have media and communications tasks in 2024. And we're also gonna add a kids men intern. Now, it's interesting that these supplemental additions, these interns that we're adding to our staff, they actually will clear the primary leaders in these areas, very, very areas are very, very leaders them. to be able to focus more on care needs in a very Act 6 kind of way, right? They're taking on some of the, the, the tasks that our primary leaders are doing so that they can be freed up for spiritual care. Lots of transitions, and I'm not done. In order to meet some of these practical needs, we're also addressing the needs and the spiritual care of our larger church body. And so I want to put forth before you, the congregation, the names of three potential elders. Now, before I share these names with you, because I think your brain's just going to go, we're not going to hear another word I say, I want to kind of give you a little bit about the process of how this takes place. First, in the New Testament, in Timothy and Titus specifically, is a long list of very sobering qualifications for eldership. But what's also included in the text, as you study it, is that elders are to be appointed as men in particular who are already doing the work of eldering, if you will, right? In other words, not people that might have the potential someday, but people who are already exhibiting biblical qualifications for elderships in the life and body of the church. And so we have a list of men and their families in particular that we uh, that we discuss, we pray about, we observe, we give them leadership opportunities for years in many cases. And over the course of time, as, the, as uh, the Holy Spirit leads, we'll ask one or two, in this case three, to sit with us on the elder team to see not only what it looks like for them to, to lead and participate, but what is the chemistry and the synergy in that relationship. And after a time, and these three guys have been sitting with us for nine months, we then do what we also see in the New Testament we bring those things to the congregation. And we ask you for your frank and honest feedback. If you were with us two weeks ago, what we're asking you to give feedback on is what is the shadow effect of these men and their families' Christian faith and obedience. And we want to hear from you over the next several weeks. And then in February, uh, we will, upon hearing or confirming that they are who we think they are, not perfect but godly, we'll commend them to the ministry as elders here at GBC. Now, it's probably worth noting that these are not paid positions. Uh, these men are all in other vocations, but there was this funny rumor going around about five years ago that each of the elders, and there's 10 of them currently, uh, made, earned six, six salaries here at GBC. And uh, I'm not kidding you. And so we kind of had to squash that rumor, but there was one elder, I'll let you figure out who it was, who demanded that he get back pay. Um... <laughs> So without further ado, here are our three names we put before you for the next month or so. James Filiatro, Colin Pilch, and Dan Flight. Now, each man, each of these men have served, led, spoken, provided pastoral care, insight into different areas here at GBC for some time and, uh, in, and in other churches where they came from as well. And we believe they meet the qualifications of elders listed in the New Testament. And so, again, please give us your feedback. You can, uh, I'll say this tongue-in-cheek as well, you can grab your favorite elder and just share with them or just email me at garygrottenbiblechapel.org and I will share that with our team. Again, I want to come back to uh, Longnecker's comment in his comments because I think he, again, pulls this together very succinctly. He says this, The early church seems to have been prepared to adjust its prayers Alter its organizational structures and develop new posts of responsibility in response to existing and, and for the sake of the ongoing proclamation of the Word of God. And then he makes this application. He said, Luke's narrative here suggests that to be fully biblical is to be constantly engaged in adapting traditional methods and structures to meet existing situations, both for the sake of the welfare of the whole church and for the outreach of the gospel. And so I think an even more succinct way is that's a wordy way of saying the church needs to be nimble to respond to the needs and also be biblically faithful. And so if you've been following the numbers, uh, while the apostles are seven to serve, if you count Kimberly's replacement in the shifts in kids' ministry, Ethan and three elders and three interns, that's eight. So we're suggesting for 2024, um, God is, uh, is raising up these folks to serve in all these areas. It's an exciting time. Transitions. And there's more to come, by the way. But let's move to the outcome. So there's the problem problem of growth, right? Then you have the apostles respond with the solution of the raising up these seven. And then there's outcome. Now, the first outcome we see is some really exciting fruit, right? There's fruit that comes of it, but then there's this fracturing, or like I said, probably a better word is opposition. Let's look at the fruit first. And it's all contained in verse seven. And it begins with this little word, so or therefore, or in light of, or the next thing that happened as a result is the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased in great number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Three things happened. One, the word of God spread. The missional mandate, the theme of Acts, way back in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that the apostles would be witnesses, that the gospel would move from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, actually begins to happen here. The word of God spread. Secondly, the disciples increased greatly, the text actually says, in number. This is subsequent to verse 1 that said that in those days the disciples increased in number and this conflict arose and the apostles responded to this conflict. As a result of that, there was an exponential, expansive increase above and beyond the, beyond the increase of verse 1. Again, we've seen something similar here at GBC. GBC. There's growth, explosive growth, you could say. Third point, the religious were converted. And I want to park here for a minute. I don't want you to miss this this morning. This could be the most important point, the whole message for some of you. You know, Jeremiah, uh, one of the early Jewish historians, said that there were likely as many as many 10,0 uh, priests and Levites in the city of Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost. And that among this group, a number of them give their lives to Jesus. They place their faith in Jesus. Understand, understand these, are, these are people who are already religious and devoted to God, but they didn't have a relationship with God. And, and the huge teaching point for us is that that can happen in the church today. You may have come to church for years, but you've never of your sins and trusted in Jesus for your salvation. You might give your money and help the poor and serve at the United Way and do all these things that are religious and helpful to the community, but you've never changed Jesus as your Savior. I think this, this phrase of Luke is so important in what the Spirit of God is doing. I remember years ago, it was in the 90s, I think, a youth pastor in this community who was at a church that didn't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, They preached the gospel of works righteousness. That is, do more uh, good things than your bad things and you'll get in kind of thing. And this young guy was a youth pastor at this church. He was a pastor. He led teens. He taught Sunday schools. He was part of this church. And he took his youth group to Camporea in New Hampshire. And for the first time, heard the message that he and every one of us are broken, our rebels, are under the judgment, judgment because of our sin. And that apart from God's intervening work, we would be punished for our sin. But that God sent Jesus, God in human flesh, that he would come and live the perfect sinless life. He would fulfill all of the all, all, of, prophecy, prophecy. all of the imagery of the Old Testament. And then he would go to a cross and because he had no sin to pay for of his own, he could pay for your sin and for my sin. And then he rose from the grave, validating the sacrifice, but also providing the means for us to have have life, even eternal life. And this youth pastor in a church had never heard that message. And in that weekend, he repented of his sins. He received Jesus as his Savior and began to walk with God. Many priests became obedient to Jesus. Maybe this morning you've been very religious You've never trusted in Christ. If that's the case, that's the most important thing for you to hear this morning. Three things spread. The disciples increased greatly in number. That the priests or the religious were converted. Fourth thing is kind of inferred in the word so and in our previous verses. It's that this practical need of feeding widows was addressed. So the fruit took place in both areas, interestingly enough. There was spiritual fruit and there was fruit with regard to this practical need. Both needs were met. We've been seeing that here at GBC this year. Our baptisms bear witness to the fact that there is spiritual truth or spiritual fruit in this community. But I want to share a really practical place where we've seen fruit in the temporal this year that we're really excited about. In 2023, we had the goal of paying down our mortgage on this space underneath a million dollars. It was a lofty, goal. It was a lofty ask. But by the grace of God... And through the generosity of you, his people, and I would add the wisdom of our finance team here at GBC, as of our February mortgage payment, in like a week or two, our mortgage principal will be under $1 million, which is pretty amazing. You can thank God for that. (laughs) Now, if you've not been here for long, put the numbers in a different light. Uh, Our original loan was $2.2 million dollars, And I think our first mortgage payment was February of 2020. It was a 20-year note. And so, in other words, we've paid down $1.2 million in principal alone in almost exactly four years on a 20-year note. That's an incredible move of God through the generosity of his people. And that positions us for whatever God has next. Getting us from seven figures to six figures is significant that we can then start to think about, because we're not taking on any, any other major financial projects <clears throat> excuse me, until this debt is eliminated. Uh, but it's humbling. It's humbling. We're seeing fruit in the spiritual and fruit in the temporal. God has been very, very good, very good. Well, fruit is a product of this spirit-led growth, but also opposition. I want to read you, and this is just going to kind of hint or tease us toward next week, from three verses that follow on in the text we looked at this morning. Verse this morning says, now Stephen, who's one of the seven that had been raised up, full of power was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse nine, opposition arose, however. Verse 12, this opposition group stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And so they came, they seized him, that is Stephen, and they took him to the Sanhedrin. Verse 15, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was the face of an angel. Now we're going to look at Stephen's sermon, his speech, if we will, in detail next week. But one of the results of this spirit-led growth is opposition. And Stephen, very much in the same pattern of Jesus himself, is is arrested and put on trial, and we'll see what happens to him next week. Here's the teaching point. Opposition is inevitable. When God is on the move... The fruit is exciting, right? It's exciting to hear about some of these things God's doing, but we should expect that opposition. Paul says in your own lives individually, in 2 Timothy 3, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, we had Rachel Gilson with us yesterday. One of the things she said that was really uh, important, important was that the church has gone a long time, the church in the West, without any real cost to following Jesus in our daily lives without any real persecution for, for choosing to be a follower of Jesus, unlike the church in church many in the world. Opposition is inevitable. Now, we have faced public critique here at GBC uh, for our faithfulness to biblical teaching where marriage and sexuality and gender and identity are concerned, and we should expect more. This is the issue of our time, and we firmly believe that the Bible and the gospel specifically, adequately and efficiently speaks to these larger-than-life issues of my identity, my sexuality, and my biology. And so we will continue to be both biblically faithful but also unconditionally loving rather than capitulating or crumbling under the pressures of the culture. Folks, God is on the move. God is moving in our church. It's humbling, and we should expect both fruit and opposition. Big point this morning is that spirit-led growth will lead to both of those things, fruit and opposition. And so as we've considered a lot about what this means for us kind of corporately as a church community, uh, why don't you think about what that means for you individually? Where are the places as you listen to Acts 6 this morning that you say, God, I'm just so grateful for the spiritual fruit I've seen in my life over the last month six months, a year? Lord, where are the places that I need to anticipate or maybe respond differently to opposition that's coming because you're growing me? I want to encourage you toward that end. I want to wrap up this morning, and as I do, I want to invite you, if you'd like prayer for any reason this morning, come on down front. We'll We'll have some of the elders and staff just kind of hang out. Just be available to pray with you. Might be that there's someone in this room, like my youth pastor friend, has never given their life to Jesus Christ. You've been very religious, but you've never repented and trusted Jesus. We would implore you to make that decision today. Or maybe there's just something you're really excited about and you want to pray and thank God for it, or maybe there's a weight you're carrying. I want to kind of open the floor up for prayer as we conclude our service this morning. Pray with me. Our God and Father we thank you for this text in Acts that that Luke writes that helps us to to just see a pattern for how to respond to growth. Uh, Lord, we thank you in your providence, God, how it mirrors what we're seeing here at GBC in this season. Lord, we're humbled by the fruit. Uh, We're sobered by opposition. Jesus, as we experience spiritual fruit and opposition in our own lives individually, would you meet our needs? Would you receive our worship? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.